0: Hey everyone, it's Aldwin.
1: And I'm Jason.
0: This is the Ready
1: Play Tennis Podcast. New balls, please. You
0: can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line. The
1: flew up. Well, yeah, uh, I hope I give uh, uh, some other people a chance to believe uh, 37 is not over yet.
0: How does it feel to be holding that ball? famous trophy. Unbelievable.
1: (laughs) And um, it's it's something very special and I'll never forget these days. Welcome to the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Aldwyn we are here and we are queer
0: (laughs) get used to it
1: (laughs) there's a lot of queer i.e strange things going on in the world and that's why we are here today to bring you some tennis talk which is not strange
0: at all yeah no not strange at all we um on last week's episode we kept it real and a surprising challenge was issued at the very end because it was Canada Day, um, I issued a challenge to Jason, to Jason, to Jason, <laughs> <laughs> to, to Jason, and I said whoever can get our favorite Canadian tennis, our favorite Canadian tennis player on our podcast first, will be the big old winner.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, so who who doth we invite? I invited the one, the only. Anything is possible.
0: Mm-hmm. Cutie, another cutie with the booty mm-hmm
1: <laughs> and you invited the one the only the genie, genie
0: the genie bouchard the genie
1: in a bottle
0: genie oh christina aguilera
1: up in the house <laughs> you gotta rub me the right right way, way. <laughs> <laughs> how do we rub you the right way genie to get you on the show
0: girl i've been trying to okay I was thinking about this last night before going to bed and I was trying to make an analysis of who was winning in this O Canada challenge. And I think I'm winning.
1: Yeah, I know you think that. um, And thinking creates thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) However, um, I've actually met the person I would like to get on this show back in 2018 at the Aussie Open.
0: Yeah. And I mean, by the Instagram post that you posted on our Ready Play Tennis podcast wall, it did look like he was trying to get a little cop of feel in the back.
1: Yeah. I mean, he did touch my bare bum because his hand slipped down there. But what? <laughs> jealous. <laughs> no, it, I'm so, no, I'm it, so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> that, that did not happen. But he was very nice. Um I did not share the hotel that he was at just in case he goes and stays there every time he plays. But he was very nice. Wade and I were leaving the hotel uh and we saw him going in coming from back, I think, from the the the, the tennis center. Mm-hmm. And Wade's like, you have to go back. We have to go back. We have to take a photo with him. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I just don't I'm not one of those people who needs to do that, but Wade encouraged me. We did it and that was the result. His hand d- touching my bum.
0: And now that moment is forever immortalized on our IG
1: page. Yeah, But well, you you can potentially have that too with Jeannie when you get together with her for Tim Hortons.
0: Yeah, okay, so anyway, I was thinking to myself last night, let me continue my story. Jason had an unfair advantage because clearly he met Vashik already and had a little bum bum action um, in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually called Jeannie out. I added her on that post. I was like, Jeannie, this is not fair. Can we please just raise the stakes a little bit and come on the podcast first so I can beat her? Because if I lose, I will never live it down. And anyway, there's a little bit of an update. So since our episode last week, Jason so master masterfully crafted a couple of teaser clips of our pitches. And Jeannie, not Vashek. Jeannie watched all of our stories. Now she didn't respond. She didn't slide into our DMs. <laughs> but the very fact that her two eyeballs looked and watched our, our stories means that I think I'm kind of in the lead.
1: <laughs> That's fair. I guess you can I guess you can feel that way. That's fine. We We clearly still have more work to do because you know, her seeing those stories, doesn't mean it. It don't mean shit until one of those people is on our show. So That's we, true. We have to continue to uh, step our our step up our game. We have to continue to surprise, <laughs> to surprise and delight.
0: I knew what the, you were gonna say there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to surprise and delight Vashik and Jeannie mm-hmm. to compel them to come on the podcast.
0: I have a really quick excuse though for her. She's currently in Kentucky. And uh, during lockdown, she Well, she's in Kentucky for an exhibition But during lockdown, she participated In what was called the All-In Challenge Which raised funds for charities Relating to COVID, etc And a huge fan Spent a, a cool $85,000 For a dinner and a date With her, so she's Predisposed, I mean She's she's busy she's, and,
1: What's involved in that date Do you know?
0: Uh, I don't know Maybe like a little dinner. dinner, maybe a couple bottles of wine, maybe yeah. a private private tennis lesson.
1: Maybe. I think that's, that sounds like a good date. <laughs> <laughs> there better be some wine, though. 85 G's.
0: I know. Do you know where Vashik is right now?
1: Vashik, I believe, is in his hometown of Vernon.
0: Vernon, B.C.?
1: B.C. How is he uh, practicing there? I'm not sure. He's doing some training. I post I shared that training video of him to like give him some shout outs so we can see him working out. Ooh. We can see him on Tennis United. Can <laughs> see his making his mark. He's making his comeback in twenty twenty. You know, maybe he maybe he has a chance to go deep in this US open. So you're saying that Vashik is not in the south of France,
0: um, partying at a restaurant, ignoring social distancing like like Zverev
1: no he's in his bubble with his family yes that was good
0: (laughs) good segue
1: because yes Zverev is causing all kinds of ruckus again
0: what's okay honestly what's his problem like I remember texting you it was yesterday and I did not know about this news so I am on my IG as usual on a Thursday night just scrolling doing my thing Copying a couple stories. And then all of a sudden, I come across this story of Sasha Zverev, the very person that participated in the Adria tour and um, had his management um, send out a message saying that he had tested negative but was going to practice social distancing and self isolation. And this fool is up in the south of France at a restaurant partying to some Jay Z, right?
1: Mm-hmm. On I, clearly on video, not not afraid to be on video.
0: Do you think that?
1: I just think that he might be a little stupid. <laughs> <laughs> he's still very young. Um, you know, maybe Boris Becker would say he's twenty three. He wants to hang out with his friends. Like
0: at least, at least if you're gonna go out, have all of your friends come to your hotel room and be like, everyone's cell phone is off, right. or like leave your cell phone. <laughs> in the hotel room.
1: Yeah, I got a million followers and I got to keep a low profile, but I want to
0: party with you. I know, and Kyrgios called him out. Kyrgios not is not afraid to do that.
1: No, Kyrgios has is not afraid to use his Twitter.
0: Yeah, he, um, I mean, I think from what I remember from his Twitter post, he was like, I can't do a good Australian accent, but, you know, I saw Sasha Zverev, he was out again, and like, I don't know, man, like you said that you were going to self-isolate and you had your management send out that message. I mean, the least that you could do is be with just your girlfriend and, you know, stay at home for 14 days, which again was kind of mild coming from Kyrios, but Mm -hmm. he still called her out.
1: Yeah, it's a bit reserved. And he obviously has the same opinion Mm -hmm. that he's had for a while about the uh, hosting of the U.S. Open and thinks that it's a bad idea. Um, and it sounds like uh, Patrick Moradigloo is feeling the same way, particularly as cases continue to go up in the U.S. So we'll see what happens. There's still so so much time between now and the middle to end of August that you know things could change and the tournament might not happen.
0: Wait, I'm not quite sure what you mean by Patrick is unsure now. Did something come out? Did he say something? He
1: just is observing what's going on in the U S and obviously he's Mm. um, balancing that with what he's tried to do in terms of creating a safe space for, for play and action through the ultimate tennis showdown Mm -hmm. that he is questioning whether um, the tournament should move forward or whether it's actually going to happen because, you know, cases are going up and up and up and maybe it won't happen. come middle of August, they'll have to change course and cancel.
0: Yeah, I mean that is true. I mean, if you watch any news outlet, the cases in the states are just multiplying and like exponentially. It's it is a it's a shit show. I don't know how else to describe it. It's a pure shit show.
1: Yeah, yeah, we are fortunate here to I think have done most of the right things, and we're now in stage two in most of the country, which means um, some businesses can return. Restaurants are starting to open, but with patio service only Uh, here in Toronto, you have to wear a mask indoors Mm -hmm. for at least the next three months. Mm -hmm. Um, And nobody politicizes that. So that's all good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I actually played tennis at East York and I took the TTC, which is our local transportation um, to the courts. And they had um, employees at every TTC entrance handing out masks. But to be honest with you, what I noticed the second day now that it's mandatory is that I don't think that barely any masks were handed out because everyone that I saw riding the TTC was wearing their own masks. So clap, clap to Toronto, Torontonians. We're we're setting a good example, I think.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's only um, been a few days, so... I think once people get the message and they start to see that they, they will start to model that behavior. So Mm. speaking of masks, we did one, one other thing that you shared on our social media was that these tennis apparel companies are now starting to make face masks.
0: I am not even kidding you. (laughs) I don't. Okay. Do you remember what episode it was either episode one or episode two? Yeah. Do you remember which episode precisely it was? I don't,
1: I don't remember exactly, but. Um, yeah, we we did talk about this.
0: So all you other tennis podcasts out there, the tennis podcast, I mean, I can't even think of, can you think of any other tennis podcast
1: worth mentioning? <laughs> uh, hold, holding Court with Patrick McEnroe, I hold, enjoy.
0: Okay. I'm going to say it here first. I think that Jason was the first person on any tennis podcast to call major tennis brands, Nike, uh, Adidas, Im- implementing, having masks as part of their line of apparel. And lo and behold, I I was again scrolling on IG one night and I'm like, "What the f? Yonex is creating tennis masks?" And I texted to you and I was like, "We could have been onto something here." <laughs> I know we
1: we did miss the opportunity here, you know, cuz we could have uh, you know, if Wimbledon was happening, we could have been seeing you know, the Nike masks or the Uniqlo face masks on all of the spectators with the, you know, the RF logo or the Joko logo or the yeah. Dolls logo. Yeah. So
0: I, if there's, there's credit, credit is due to Jason for calling that out. I mean, I kind of, in my mind, I was like, mm, face mask, Nike face mask. I'm like, they're not going to do that. But lo and behold, I think everyone's going to jump on that bandwagon.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you can put your logo on anything and everybody is going to be required to wear that thing there, you're, you're missing an opportunity if you don't do it and you don't produce that thing.
0: And I mean, not to stray on this topic for very much longer, but what better place for product placement and advertising than on your mouth? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like at every possible angle, you can see a logo. So apparently, so, so, yeah, I guess we did miss the boat on that one, but that's okay. Yeah,
1: I mean, if you see Federer's wife in the audience, and she's clapping for Roger as he's hitting a great shot or, you know, coming <laughs> to the net and hitting a great volley, and she's got that Uniqlo logo across her labouche, mm-hmm. that's extra kudos for Uniqlo.
0: Yeah, I just yeah. hope that whatever mask they create are reusable.
1: That's Yeah, it. no, they have to be cloth masks, I would think. Okay. Yeah. Put all that right. in the put that in the laundry with your tennis attire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it is Wimbledon season. Sadly, we are not watching new matches or a current current tournament on the grass. Mm-hmm. But we have all of these great old matches and this nostalgia for th- perhaps the most amazing tournament in the world.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, okay. In terms of the slams, where do you personally rank Wimbledon?
1: Number one, for sure.
0: Really? Yeah. Like for number sure. one, you didn't even have to think about that. No, No, I not at all. Okay, is there is there like childhood wise like are there memories that are brought up when you think yeah, about I think, Wimby?
1: You know, uh, Wimbledon typically ran, ran when school ends for us here, so. I would and I was fortunate to have a TV in my room so I would close the door, turn on my air conditioner because <laughs> it was humid as F in Windsor, Ontario. And uh, I think you know for most of the early to mid 90s the coverage was on TSN, but it was USA who had the rights so would watch you know a lot of a lot of that coverage and then the weekend coverage was, You know, NBC and they had that great theme music and they had Dick Emberg. So, uh, my first two weeks of my summer vacation was always monopolized by Wimbledon.
0: I thought I had a very similar experience growing up. Like, I. I think I mentioned on a previous podcast, my first slam that I watched on TV was the French Open. And then naturally, the next slam I watched was Wimbledon. And just like you, I would get up for Saturday and Sunday breakfast at Wimbledon. I'd look at those beautifully manicured courts, you know, the purple and and the forest green of the logo, the strawberries and cream. So, did you end up ever making that strawberries and cream recipe? <laughs> I
1: I tried to make it once, but I didn't. It didn't quite work out. I I would typically do just like Cool Whip or like the canned <laughs> the canned whipped cream on the strawberries. That
0: makes me cry. I think that's so. I still think that's so so sweet. Yeah,
1: that's I, yeah. That's how that's how I roll.
0: <laughs> but I haven't like I have an additional memory from my childhood. Um, in terms of Wimbledon, that I don't know that you if you share as well, so I would watch all of the Wimbledon coverage on NBC as you mentioned Dick Enberg, Mary Carillo, John McEnroe, Chris Evert in that little weird box on top of center court. Um, but I also was really into Wimbledon late night. Did you ever watch that?
1: Yeah, they did. Um, a th- it was like a thirty minute update on the draw just. And they, it preceded or it sort of bumped ahead of The Tonight Show?
0: Yes, that's right. And yeah. what I found in my research was that the rules in terms of broadcasting – that NBC put on Wimbledon were so strict that I used to use Wimbledon late night to catch myself up on matches that they didn't televise. So of course now that ESPN has all of the rights for Wimbledon, you could watch Wimbledon on ESPN 1, 2, and 3. So all of the major matches are essentially covered. But when NBC had the rights to Wimbledon, I mean, they only really anticipated the marquee matches so matches that would take place on center court maybe what is their grandstand called? is it grant court one court one court one the graveyard court remember that mm-hmm.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah I mean Wimbledon just has a legacy for me and of course because I'm the number one Steffi Graf fan Wimbledon has added importance because that was the slam that Steffi won the most <laughs> <laughs>
1: She won six times or seven times? Sweetie, she won seven. <laughs> 80 don't get it twisted. She don't won get... seven. 1988, 1989,
0: 1991, 92, 93,
1: 95, 96. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, it's that's so, so incredible that, that somebody wins a tournament. That many times, and there's multiple players like that who have won Wibbledon almost I, that many times.
0: I know, like, I even think to myself, like, if I ever was an actual tennis professional, I would be happy to have won one 125 level tournament, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, let alone a grand slam. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think it's interesting that you talk about NBC because they ended their coverage at a certain point. What when was that? So, I I mean, I didn't know this until
0: I researched it, but NBC ended their coverage in 2011 and then ESPN took over right after.
1: I remember I remember that because I don't uh, well, I don't re- I clearly didn't remember the exact <laughs> year, but I remember when they signed off, they were like we don't know if we're going to be back because I don't think an agreement had been signed fully at that time with ESPN. So they, I think there was some hope that maybe they would be back on NBC, but it didn't um, come to fruition, but there is a certain, obviously nostalgia with the NBC coverage and, you know, the, their theme music and just the way that they hosted the breakfast at Wimbledon and the personalities. Yeah,
0: I always appreciated the balance that Chrissy and John offered. Like John was this like braggadocious, you know, no filter kind of commentator. You know, he obviously definitely toned it down for, you know, network television. But compared to Chris Everett, who's a little bit more, you know, mild in her commentary, I thought that they played so well off each other. And Mm -hmm. plus Mary Carrillo. I love them all. I love Mary. I love Mary. Bud Collins. Remember Bud Collins? I
1: know. R.I.P. Bud Collins. R.I.P. R.I.P. Dick Enberg. He's... Wait, wait. Hold on. Dick Enberg is... He's... No, that's true. Oops. Come back to life, Dick Enberg. That's okay. He's just retired from... He's retired. He's retired. Yeah. He came back, though, for one match. I forget what year he came back.
0: On ESPN?
1: I don't remember. He did come back one, one year to cover one final. Okay. Maybe it was before CBS ended its coverage of the U.S. Open. He came back one more year. I see. Maybe that's what I'm remembering. But, um, yes. I think, yeah, I mean, the tournament is just so uh, iconic mm-hmm. in so many ways. Like, I was watching, you know, you and I have been watching a bunch of matches, too, prepare for our discussion today for <laughs> the masses. And I think, you know, when you just, you look at the court and you see that it's one of the few tournaments albeit every tournament that's on grass is like this, where the actual composition of the court changes throughout the event. So, yes. you know, at the beginning, the grass is fresh and it's lush and people are falling on their asses and their, <laughs> their their white uniforms are getting stained. And then by the end, when you get to the semifinals and finals, it's all crusty at the back and people are a bit more <clears throat> um, firm in their movement, particularly if they're baseliners at that part of the court. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when you even look at, it's, it's the most iconic scoreboard. It is. When Um, you look, you look at the scoreboard, you know, you're at Wimbledon.
0: Jason Patterson. I can't believe you just gave me shivers with that because (laughs) you're one zillion percent. Correct. That iconic, I don't even know how to describe it. Digitized old school scoreboard made out of those like neon yellow dots. (gasps) Mm hmm. I just... I can't anymore. It's (laughs) sponsored by Rolex. Sponsored by Rolex. (laughs) And
1: that's another thing. Like, with all the tournaments that you see around the world um, when you're watching the play, there are tons and tons of sponsors. But Wimbledon doesn't allow that. You have, like, the Lil Slazenger logo. Yes. In the... In just sort of above or around the lines people.
0: You know, and, like, I think the added dimension of the fact that the players have to wear all white also adds to I wouldn't say the necessarily the prestige of the tournament but to its like unique flavor. So mm-hmm. every single year obviously all the top players have a Wimbledon kit they come out and each of their you know respective brands have to think about how can we make white interesting like mm-hmm. what frills can we add on to it what kind of designs so yeah like Wimbledon, I think the reason why I love Wimbledon so much, in part, is because it sticks to tradition. And in a time where tennis is, like, constantly evolving and changing and, you know, new is better, Wimbledon is like, no, girl, we're going to keep it exactly the same and you have to play by our rules, (laughs) period.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But they don't, uh, one thing they don't do is they don't curtsy anymore, right? Like, nobody curtsies or bows. Remember when the, the ladies would curtsy to the royal box?
0: Yes, I do remember that. I, 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 I don't know if that has changed, but if it has, I mean, I guess that's great.
1: Speaking of clothing and equipment, I did pull up the clothing and equipment rules. You from did? The, from, Wimb- <laughs> from Wimbledon's website. Um, so, someone hire,
0: ja- someone <laughs> hire Jason Patterson right now because he is just so good at
1: research. Would you like me to read them in a British accent? Uh, Yes, go ahead. There are there are ten rules. Uh, One, competitors must dress uh, be dressed in suitable tennis attire that is almost entirely white. As we know, Um, white white just so you know does not include cream or off white. Mm. So don't don't you dare don't dare don't wear that cream. Um, There should be no solid mass or panel of coloring. So you can't have like a chunk of color. Mm.
0: Do you hear that, Andre Agassi?
1: (laughs) A single trim of color around the neckline and around the cuff of the sleeve is acceptable, but must be no wider than one centimeter. (laughs) (laughs) So I was watching, as I was reading this, I was watching... Um, and it, uh, the round, ra- the, ma- sorry, the match that I almost gave away that I'm going to talk about, um, <laughs> one of the player, one of those players had like a little trim on the, on their sleeve, ah. but the other player did not have any trim. Well, what what uh, was the
0: color of the trim? Uh,
1: Blue? Black. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think typically people... Do the black um, color contained within patterns will be measured as if it is a solid mass of color and should be within the one centimeter guide. Logos formed by variations of material or patterns are not acceptable. So, I think the logo must have be part of the whole creation of the shirt, so it can't be added. Mm-hmm. The back of the shirt, dress, tracksuit top, or sweater must be completely white. Mm. Uh, Shorts, skirts, and tracksuit bottoms must be completely white except for a single trim of color down the outside seam, no wider than one centimeter.
0: One centimeter is like the the standard.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's a few rules of centimeter. And then there's the shoes. Shoes must be almost entirely white. Soles and laces must be completely white. Large manufacturers' logos are not encouraged. Mm. Mm. On the shoes. On the shoes, but we know that players don't abide, abide by that. Uh, grass court shoes must adhere to um, the guides uh, for grass courts. See Appendix 1. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in particular, with. Uh, in particular, shoes with pimples around the outside of the toe shall not be permitted. So I think there was one year where Djokovic tried to get away with having uh pimples, I think, on the outside of his shoe or something, so that he could slide better on the grass. And mm-hmm. they they doth say no, 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 no go, Joko. no,
0: no go, Joko. Wow. Um, Who- yeah. Who is the person, like, do you have to submit your kit to some kind of inspector before you play?
1: I assume there must be some sort of process where they ask the players to show what they're going to wear and they have to get approval.
0: Wow. I See, yeah. that. that's a side of the Wimbledon tournament that I would be very intrigued to know about.
1: Mm-hmm. If anybody knows anything about that, please email us to readyplaytennispodcast at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, if you're a Wimbledon official in Wimbledon, England, just let us know. Yeah. Let us know. Give us the insider scoop.
1: The last two, so there's an undergarment rule. Ooh. Ooh, any undergarments that either are or can be visible during play. So seeing that we can't see them undergarments during under those them white shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, must be oh the undergarments must must also be white except for a single trim of color no wider than one centimeter
0: well that's why Gabrielle Sabatini never wore a bra because she didn't want she didn't want to she was not allowed to wear her colorful bra so she She just had had... (laughs) she (laughs) had
1: one centimeter of color over her nipples (laughs) I can't I'm sorry Uh, well this is funny in light of us laughing at her wearing a boob- booby tassels apparently at Wimbledon. In addition, common standards of decency are required at all times. I see uh, what did- Gabby Gabby savvy didn't obviously adhere to that
0: You know what if she wants to let them free while she plays, then all the power to her. Why be yeah. re- why be restrained by a support garment when you can just run around and hit them
1: balls? <laughs> exactly um, so as you can see white is white is the color of Wimbledon
0: yes white mm-hmm. is I mean I and you I believe like we've played at a couple of private clubs here in Toronto and and we've had to adhere to their all white policy. And I personally don't really love white shorts. Um, I have a couple of white tennis tops. I just feel like having a kit with different colors displays more of my personality. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, for Wimbledon, I guess I could put on an all white outfit to get onto center court
1: <laughs> to play on one of those <laughs> courts. You would hear, you would make sure to adhere to the them rules. I. Uh, Trust me, I think that would happen. (laughs) So one of the things that we were planning to talk about was in light of the fact that the tournament didn't happen, one of the decisions that obviously led to that was the fact that they had insurance.
0: Yes. The only slam, from my understanding, that has paid into insurance since... Well, it says here, based on my research, since the SARS outbreak in 2003.
1: Yeah, they invested uh, at that time, thinking that this could become a concern in the future, and now they're cashing in.
0: Yeah. Do you know um, how much they're cashing out this year? Why, I do, but I'm happy (laughs) to have you share. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I I feel like you and I are simultaneously looking at our own notes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we do prepare for your entertainment.
0: <laughs> okay, so apparently based on our research, the Wimbledon Tennis Tournament is going to receive a payout of one hundred and fourteen million pounds, which is the equivalent of two hundred million Canadian dollars. Is that
1: right? That is correct. Crazy. It does not make up for what they would have made, I guess, for orchestrating the event. But Mm -hmm. obviously it helps offset all of the losses. And, you know, right now, all you can do is go to Wimbledon.com and watch past matches (laughs) (laughs) because there's nothing else you can do. They made that decision. It's been since 1945 that they've canceled. So it's 75 years. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was, I guess, the right decision. Yeah.
0: The Listen, the Wimbledon organizers, because they are so damn smart from 2003, you know what they're doing right now? They're in the Wimbledon restaurant slash kitchen, and they're making their own freaking strawberries and cream. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting down. Yes, yes, they, they had a loss because the tournament did not take place, but compared to the U.S.-Australian, no, the Australian took place, the U.S. and the French, I mean, they're sitting pretty, I think.
1: I agree. And we're sitting pretty here on our mics and able to talk about this (laughs) back, this amazing back catalog of matches.
0: Oh, my God. So, so many. How could we? I don't know about you. Did you have difficulty selecting a couple or knowing knowing you, Jason? Now, something that I learned about you over the past couple of weeks is that I always knew that you were. Clearly a supreme tennis fan, but I didn't know the degree to which you digest and watch tennis matches on literally a twenty four seven basis.
1: <laughs> I mean, what <laughs> while tournaments are on, I'm watching the coverage of most of the events, particularly the Grand Slams. For the five hundred level tournaments, I'm at least watching from the quarterfinals onward. Masters one thousands, I'm watching the whole tournament. So you are correct. Dang. The other, the other thing that I think you've learned about me is that when a, a match is iconic, <laughs> I and I have kept, I have recorded it on my box, my <laughs> PVR. I will keep it on said box for many, many. Many months, yeah. um, Unless yeah, the matches that I've chosen reflect me having done that back in the day.
0: Yes, and you keep those matches on your box unless Chris Ang spoils it for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Chris, to call you out. I mean, (laughs) you don't do it purposefully, but you just are so excited to share Canadian tennis results that you post all of the news on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: And I have told him that I have to unfollow him or like (laughs) hide his feed because I don't want to see said (laughs) results. So what match... What match do you want to talk about? You go first.
0: Oh, my God. Okay, listen. I clearly am Steffi Graf's number one fan, but for the sake of diversity... (laughs) <laughs> for the sake of diversity and the coverage of tennis players, I did not choose a Steffi Graf match. I chose the iconic, epic, dramatic, two thousand and five ladies singles final between Venus Williams and Davenport.
1: Ooh, I and I saw that. So, did you do? Did you choose this match before or after Justin made that post?
0: What? I didn't know that Justin made a post about any about anything
1: regarding this match. What do you mean? You commented on his post. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You pull that. I'll pull that up and. You, oh yes. Okay, now I remember. What I, did you say?
0: So perhaps subliminally, because Justin posted about this iconic Wimbledon final, I might have selected that as my match (laughs) my marquee match to discuss on this podcast um yeah justin our friend from indy originally i don't know where he is now i think you're in texas now but that's one of his favorite matches this 2005 wimbledon ladies singles final had so much in the lead up to the final that it made the final match even more epic so just to give a little bit of context Venus Williams versus Lindsay Davenport. Lindsay Davenport, the number one player in the world, was having an amazing 2005 season, but she had a lot to prove because the last final, the grand, Sla- the last Grand Slam final that she was, that she had participated in, in was in 2001. And so she wanted to kind of send a message to all the naysayers that yes, she was more than just her number one ranking, she could win a slam. On the other hand, Miss Venus Ebony Star Williams, who is my second fa- no, that's Mary Pierce, my third favorite player of all time, she was going through a lot. Now, keep in mind, Venus Williams up until this point had been shut out of the last five or six Grand Slam finals that she participated in by her own sister. She had not won a Grand Slam since the 2001 U.S. Open. She was dealing with the murder of her stepsister, Yatandi Price, in 2003. And she went into Wimbledon being like, you know what? This is my tournament. This is my home. Bitch, no one, I'm going to reclaim this title. And <laughs> I was very close to choosing her semifinal against Maria Sharapova as my marquee match. But I didn't. But needless to say, she went into that semifinal against Sharapova, and because Sharapova had had beaten Serena in the year before, which was a complete surprise, the 16-year-old coming out of nowhere to beat the the you know the legend that is Serena Williams. When you beat a Williams sister, you better watch your back, and that is exactly what Venus did in that semifinal. M- to quote Mary Carillo. She said about that match, this is the finest ball striking I have ever seen in any women's match ever. So needless to say, Venus beat Masha 7661. Did you end up watching the the um the clips of that I match? I did, yeah, the highlights. And what did you think?
1: I realized that I forgot how Lindsay hit the ball. Her forehand is so whippy. It is. It's very I- I, f- I completely forgot how, how, how far up she comes on the ball.
0: And, I mean, very... Lindsay, to me, represents women's tennis, the kind of women's tennis that came to fruition in the 90s, like flat on both sides, like very whippy, like Jason said, but still flat as hell, like flat as a pancake. Anyway, going into this final, Venus lost the first set 4-6, She was completely out of this match. I mean, John McEnroe even said, and I know this to be true because I watched this match earlier today, John McEnroe said at, I think it was like four or five down in the second set, like, oh, this is almost over. You know, like, Venus has got to get it together because she she is not playing the way she did against Masha in the semifinal. But just like all champions do, she turned it around, got it to a tiebreaker, won that tiebreaker, and in the third set, Venus not only saved one match point at, I believe, 4-5 down, she saved another match point at 5-6 and won that MFing match, 9-7, <laughs> the longest women's final in Wimbledon history. And Venus won her fifth Grand Slam title, and it was her way of saying to the world, bitch, I'm back. Serena who?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Serena who? And then she would go on to win one more time in 2007?
0: She won in two. So she she didn't. Uh, she I don't know how she did in 2006, but she won in 2007, 2008. And I believe. Uh, no, that's it. That's it. And she, she made the final
1: in 2017, like almost 10 years later.
0: Yeah. And I remember being in Montreal with our girlfriend, Chris. Uh, Chris Lau, and she had a set point against Muguruza in that first set and I believe that if she had capitalized on that set point, Venus Williams would be a six-time Wimbledon champion but alas, that's
1: not to be. Yeah, I mean as you and I say so many times (laughs) it's just a point here or there.
0: Yeah. In tennis. So what match did you come up with?
1: Uh, So I chose two Uh, I have chosen the most recent decade that has just passed (laughs) uh, because the current decade, as we know, did not have a Wimbledon yet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I, I posted a story uh, sharing my love of this particular match. And it's, it's such a good match. I think because of the backstory, because it features one of our, Canadian heroes on the rise and in a position where he was playing in such a way and behaving in such a way on the court that we had never seen before. And he was going up an opponent, namely Roger Federer, (laughs) uh, who in the semifinal position of the event had never lost had been 10 and zero in semifinals so the match that i chose was miloš versus roger in 2016 and what i think is also interesting about this particular match is that earlier on in the tournament when raunich faced gofan in the fourth round he was down two sets to love and at that time even you know Eight, Seven or eight years into his career, he had never won the third set being down two sets to love in a Grand Slam. And he ended up winning that particular match to, you know, extend his run and get to the quarterfinals and to the semifinals. So that in and of itself, I think is impressive. I mean, it's, it's not that impressive that it took him that long <laughs> to do that. But Uh, I think what was so cool about this match, besides the fact that Heidi Klum was there, was... Heidi Klum was at... Were they dating at the time? I don't know. So, you know, (laughs) a bit of a backstory. We went to the US Open in 2014, and we saw Raonic play Nishikori, and it was at the time the latest match that was on center court. It ended at like 2.26 in the morning. Heidi Klum was there too. So they had some sort of relationship or friendship that extended a couple years because this match was in uh, 2016. Mm. But I think for me, Raonic just played so well. His backhand, his backhand was firing, which is not necessarily a strong shot for him. He was hitting blistering forehands, painting lines. He was working that slice as well and putting... Um, Federer in some awkward positions, and he was down two sets to one, uh, and there was this pivotal point at five all in the fourth set, and he was down love thirty, and he hit this incredible volley that if he would have missed it, he would have been down love forty, and the match would have been over. Yes, but Federer, uh, he he came back in that particular game, and Federer had just uh, he he was broken in the in the first set, but since the first set federer had held 17 straight games so roundage won that game and then he broke to win the fifth set Uh, sorry win the fourth set and then went on to win the fifth set and won the match
0: like the the most improbable situation and you know what i know that we had mentioned uh Miloš a couple of episodes ago and we're like Miloš we want you to recapture that same vigor that same kind of chutzpah that you demonstrated in the semi in the semifinal against Federer and needless to say I didn't watch that match I just watched the highlights but to your point Jason like Miloš was a different
1: Miloš he was he was pulling his best Kevin Anderson <laughs> 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 the, but he was he was just so energized. And I think if he, if he brought that more to his matches again, he would, cause, cause in and of itself, I think that brings confidence and it brings energy um, and enthusiasm into your play. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so that was, that was a match, you know, bringing it back to Canada um, and his first grand slam final where he, lost to the eventual champion Andy Murray but hopefully he can get back there again because I think what what you can tell by watching that particular match is that his game is really suited for grass mm-hmm.
0: D- um, how close I don't remember but how close was the final against Murray was it four sets
1: I believe it was straight sets oh dear yeah
0: you know yeah. what though wasn't that the the first time that a person from the UK, not the first time, but like the first time in a long time that a person from the UK won the championship.
1: He he also won in 2013. Oh, okay, then yeah. that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, we want you to come back, come back, Milos, come back to the final, come back to that sort of pumped up energy, and you know, just hire John McEnroe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Johnny Mac does wonders for everyone's, I think, mental toughness.
1: Mm -hmm. The other match that I will just mention briefly, because I don't want our episode to go for four hours, is (laughs) the Djokovic and Delpo match from 2013. (laughs) Oh, of course. This is one of those matches, another semifinal that I kept on my box for months and months and months because it was just so good. Delpo had injured his knee in the match before against Ferrer. So, you know, you're always worried about injuries with Delpo. Mm. Another guy whose game I think is really well suited from for the grass, but he's just such a giant guy that you always worry about his movement mm-hmm. um, on the court and that he could fall and injure himself. And we know his history of injuries, but he just fought so hard, and he's also one of those guys who can sort of fall off and lose his energy in the middle of the match and then pick it up. So it was another back-and-forth encounter, encounter. Unfortunately, uh he lost, but it was just such a great, iconic match.
0: Okay, wait. So Delpo lost in five against he Joko? lost in five sets, yeah. What was What was the fifth set score?
1: The fifth set score was 6-3.
0: Oh. But, yeah. um and joko went on to win that wimbledon?
1: he did, yeah. no, 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 that was the sorry, that was the year andy murray won his first. oh, that's okay. not true. yeah, beat, and, but delpo he he gave he gave the the blow because he he tore him up in that match that he joko didn't have enough energy for andy.
0: see, the way that i think about delpo is Honestly, he's in the same family as Vavrinka. If Delpo had kind of maintained his health, I think that he would have more than just the U.S. Open title under his belt. Mm-hmm. You know, and like you said, I, his game is really suited is really suited to grass, um. I albeit he is tall, but you know.
1: Mm-hmm. I think a, an interesting episode for us might be to like assess people uh, and players who have better records against those top three because I think Delpo is near the top. Mm -hmm. And to your point, if he hadn't been um, stricken with so many injuries, you know, currently he's got the knee issue. He was out for his wrist issue for two and a half years, and Jonathan Scott didn't think he was going to come back, and he (laughs) did. And he made the gold medal match in in Rio. And, you know, the guy just has some... Bad freaking luck, and it's so annoying.
0: I know. He's your little, t- he's your, not your little, he's your big teddy bear.
1: He's my, te- he's my teddy, teddy, teddy po bear, <laughs> teddy del po bear. <laughs> yeah. Did you want to rattle off a few more highlights?
0: Sure. You know what? Okay. I, I feel like I'm, div- I'm, as we form kind of roles on our tennis podcast, I feel like I'm more of the WTA. Um, aficionado, but I do watch a little bit of men's tennis, and the one men's final that I remember that has stuck in my heart was the Roddick versus Federer final. I actually actually forget what year it was. I want to say 2009. 2009. 2009, and the reason why this match stuck in my head is because Federer at this point had cemented himself as... The one of the best, if not the best, in men's tennis history. And Andy Roddick was a player coming up in the American ranks, and he was supposed to be the torchbearer for American tennis, following Sampras, following Agassi, and he was supposed to be like a multi-slam winner. And after his U.S. Open win early in his career, he really didn't have the results that a lot of people expected him to have. And when I saw that Roddick had made a final, which on its own was an extremely amazing accomplishment For, literally I watched that match and you know it, it makes me feel it actually gets me a little emotional because I don't know if you've had this feeling before but like when you when, when someone calls you an underdog he was truly in every definition of the term an underdog this guy had no chance against Federer at, at the Wimbledon final on grass and he just kept his composure and he was so close, so close. Oh my God. I, I I feel like crying so close to win a second major championship, but Federer won that match 16, 14 in the fifth set. And I like, I just so desperately, I remember watching and I so desperately wa- wanted Roddick to win that just for the sake of him saying that he could beat Federer at Wimbledon. And, you know, just to add that Wimbledon title to his, I mean, already successful career, but many would argue kind of underachieving career. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I love that guy. He's an excellent commentator, you know, an ally. I just I just really felt for him that day.
1: Yeah, he's, he's super funny, but he does sort of fit into this theme of this current era of players who were um, were only sort of meant to win one slam or, you know, maybe just one or two because they were up against these three guys who are just so dominant. Yeah.
0: I mean, w- like, the tennis history books, I don't think would have made – it wouldn't have made much of a difference if they had – noted Andy Roddick being a two-time Slam champion and Federer winning one less Wimbledon. But anyway, right. it is what it is, and wah. <laughs> it, it,
1: wah. it does cement Federer's legacy. I mean, I have to admit, he is sort of the most effortless-looking player on grass, mm. is that guy. Even watching him lose to Raonic, just the way he plays is so incredible to watch. Yeah. What about you? My, I mean, I, I think the... One of the the runs that I think was most um perhaps underrated now these days because people remember the iconic run of Jimmy Connors at the US Open was that the next year at Wimbledon, John McEnroe did the same thing. He
0: did. I that's he, funny. I watched that. I watched some of his run.
1: Yeah. And you know, he I don't think he played um, too many top players to get to the semifinal. But, you know, to make a, a, a run at the same age that Jimmy Connors was, which is 39, um, running into the eventual champion, Andre Agassi, is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nowadays we don't necessarily think about it all too much because, you know, Roger's winning Grand Slams and Serena's winning, winning Grand Slams. but um, And then last, the sort of um, complete... Opposite matches that happened in last year's finals, with the men's final going the full distance of twelve all in the fifth set and being labeled the best match on the tour of the ATP for 2019, mm-hmm. and then the truly <laughs> amazing, dominant, like lights out performance of Simone, Simona <laughs> Halep. I just I could could not get enough of that match I (laughs) I know so many people love Serena and you know I I admittedly am not the biggest fan but I do enjoy you know watching her matches and again another episode I think we're gonna do is to talk about Serena but that performance by Halep was like almost perfect.
0: I, I was very close to perfect. A lot of people didn't know what to expect from Halep from that la- from last year's final, but you know, be- the reason being is because you could come onto the court against Serena, and I think when anyone comes. On the court against serena in a grand slam final you could come with your a plus 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 game but serena has proven time and over that she can just raise it to a level where it's like (laughs) i don't think so but to (laughs) but to your point i mean halip routed her it was a very comprehensive victory it was like what six two six two six two six two and she had some amazing shots
1: I think the quote from Serena when they shook hands at the net and she said it flat out, you played unbelievable.
0: She did. She absolutely did.
1: And I was so happy
0: for her. <laughs> See, the, uh, Halep winning that second slam is what I would have felt if Roddick won that slam against Federer. Because Halep also is a person that i think has slightly underachieved in her career she should have won more slams you had mentioned it before she was in like a couple of french open finals before she actually won her first one so she should really have three or four slams under her belt so i'm like bitch, win this slam you can say that you're a french and wimbledon champion she did it
1: yeah yeah i mean she she was in the 2014 final lost to Maria. She was in the final and lost to Astapanko. Uh, I think she uh, lost the... Did she lose the Aussie Open final to... She did. Uh, she lost to Wozniacki. Wozniacki. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It took her to beat... To come from behind to beat Sloane, I think, at the French. And mm-hmm. then win her Wimbledon in 2019. So... Another theme for another podcast <laughs> is will be the inconsistency of of the current women's players and why why can't they achieve the dominance of Martina and Chrissy and Steffi mm-hmm. Monica. Monica yeah and uh, and Serena and Venus
0: well Serena not Venus Maybe. sorry <laughs> well I mean Venus for like a year or- and a half.
1: Yeah, well, it's, I mean, she, you know, at thirty six and thirty seven, she was making the Aussie Open and the Wimbledon finals, so she had a good sort of late career <laughs> run. So maybe her career is over at the moment. But. Who?
0: Yeah, who? Who knows? Who? She's knows? on game
1: shows these days.
0: She is. She's on game shows. One. Yeah. Sorry. One last match. Do we have time? Yeah, I- we have time. I think I just wanted to share... This is our show, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) We have as much time as we want. Whether people will listen is a different story. (laughs) This is a match that you and I both had on the docket, but for sentimental reasons, again, it was the Novotna-Tozia match, 1998, was it? Correct. And, you know, Novotna is famous for choking her Wimbledon final against Steffi Graf in 1993, um, memorably crying on the shoulder of the Duchess of Kent which tugged at the heartstrings of every freaking tennis player that has lost a match being ahead in the final she was up 4-1 in the third set had 40-15 or 15-40 I can't remember and was going to be up 5-1 choked that away in the 1997 final uh, lost against Martina Hingis and that bitch said to herself you know what I'm going to do it again and <laughs> she came back in 1998 and she beat Tozia and um, she so for for me Novotna is the player that was destined to win that one slam just like Ivanisevich was destined to win that one slam because for them Wimbledon was was everything and you know the fact that she's kind of passed on makes it even more sweet and memorable but um yeah that's a match that I loved watching. I was so happy that she won that Wimbledon final against Tozia
1: in 98. Mm-hmm. And Goron, you would have made the list had you not been so <laughs> stupid over the last couple of weeks.
0: Oh my god, I I just want to keep that image of you when yeah. you won Wimbledon and like all of this other shit that you've been saying is like so angering, but whatever.
1: Yeah. But G- Goran, <laughs> if you're if you're listening we're just going to need some space. <laughs> we're going to need some time. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to need some time to get over what you did and what you said. Remember yeah. what you said?
0: <laughs> yeah, don't boo us. We're not the one that has COVID. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, that's terrible. That's so awful. <laughs> sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. I take that back.
1: But no, but that's, that's what he said on court. And that, then- you know a few days later he tested positive but we digress this is all about wimbledon we are at the end of our show we hope you're enjoying all of the nostalgic matches of the past you can i think find a lot of them on on wimbledon's website they're sharing a whole bunch and posting a whole bunch and doing a whole bunch live on facebook so but you can find them any pr- pretty much any match that you want mm-hmm. on yeah. the, on the interweb
0: Today would have been, um, what are we, Friday? It would have been the men's semifinal and the women's. The women would have had one semifinal today. I'm not sure, but it would have been a big day at Wimbledon.
1: Yeah. I don't think your timing is right, however. The tournament (laughs) would have started this week. What? Yeah. Oh. This would be week one
0: this would have oh this would have been okay so yeah. this coming monday would have been the fourth round where everyone like all the juicy matches would have happened
1: yeah exactly we'll edit out your dum dumb comment <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's okay no problem
1: <laughs> all right well enjoy wimbledon everybody the wimbledon that was and was many years ago but continue y- to listen subscribe share download etc and like such as
0: yeah, and Jeannie, if you're listening I really loved your semi-final win That got you to the final Okay, bye everyone And Fashik, <laughs> if you're listening I really
1: loved that you made the quarterfinal In 2013 And I know I know you're going to do better come <laughs> 2021 And I appreciate that this is your comeback year And you're going to do amazing, amazing things Like amazing
0: amazing. Like, amazing Bye everyone Bye
1: Hey, it's your serve if you love this episode, be sure to give us a five-star review. And don't forget to share it with others and let them know what all the racket's about. See what I did there?
0: And don't forget, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Ready Play Tennis Podcast. See ya!